Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast, or welcome if this is your first time. I'm your host, Mike Bellini, and a quick PSA before we get into our guests. Our our guests are spectacular today. Uh, I can't wait to get to that. So first, my new book, Ultra Marriage, same uh, title as the podcast, is out and available on Amazon. And the response so far has been really overwhelming. It was on Amazon's new uh, new release bestsellers list the first day of release in the marriage genre and it's been getting great reviews my hope is that it will further help to strengthen marriages and families one person one couple at a time the the podcast was really born from the concept of the book which the the book is a collection of 16 moments from my marriage which will be 25 years celebrating next week we'll be celebrating that on vacation in Colorado Springs and so uh, I knew while writing the book and afterwards that everybody's got a story. Every couple has a story, and I wanted to learn more from other couples as well. So if you want to know more about the book, go to MikeBellini.com, DM me on Instagram, or shoot me an email at Mike at MikeBellini.com. All right. Our guests today are a couple, Justin and Stephanie Hamilton. And this past weekend, I saw Justin and Stephanie and witnessed Justin win the Mid-State Mile, last man standing uh, ultra marathon. And if you don't know what the Mid-State Mile is, check it out at Mid-State Mile on the Instagrams. And uh, Justin not only won, but he set the record for the course, 128 miles over 40 hours and almost 40,000 feet of elevation gain and loss this this course is brutal i've run it i watched justin for a while this past weekend and he put on a clinic it was inspiring to watch because he ran for so many great reasons and the best part about it or one of the best parts about it was his crew chief was his wife stephanie she took care of him the entire time she did go to sleep uh saturday night the throughout while justin ran throughout the night but she did that so that she could be there for him the entire day sunday until the end and she was they had their two boys both uh, six and under with them who were incredible it was so cool to watch um, a husband and wife team get through that together and really win it together like I said, for, for so many good reasons, for love, for hope, for inspiration. And this episode was recorded a few weeks ago. Um, their backstory is incredible. This is what we learn about in, in this episode. What they've been through and how they went through it is so powerful. More amazing is the path that they're on now, or really, should I say, the, the path they're building now. Um, this was a lot of fun because they're a couple who embraces the messiness of life with heart and passion and a desire to bring hope to other people. So uh, I I can't wait for you to listen to this. So here's my conversation with 2022 Mid-State Mile champion and record holder, Justin Hamilton and his wife, Stephanie Hamilton. What's up? How you doing, Mike? What's going on, bro? Stephanie, it's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yes, Stephanie, this is Mike. I met Mike on the uh, the murder mile uh, up there yeah. uh, in Tennessee. As he yeah. was blowing by me for 24 hours. <laughs> he was getting it in his own right. But uh, yeah, yeah, so this is my wife, Mike. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't. I never uh, realized that it's, it is the first time y'all uh, meet. I haven't met many people. 
No, she's sure. behind the scenes often. Yeah. You will That's now. Oh, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, 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 as well as I think a lot of others feel like we know you at least a little bit because Justin talks about you all the time. Every time he's talking about something to do with his life and, and um, brother, I love your mission, what you're doing, giving people hope. And, and Stephanie, you always come up as a catalyst and uh, the biggest support for him. So that's why I'm so excited to talk to both of you. I'm stoked that we were able to to get this together. The boys are asleep. Yeah, it's rare, man. But uh, yeah, so I just walked out of their room uh, five minutes ago at uh, 757. Yeah. And uh, they had just dozed off. Uh, and uh, I told her, of course, tonight, normally they'd have been asleep, you know, 20 minutes ago. Yeah. But of course, tonight they, they gave me a run for the money. Uh, but yeah. we made it happen. So well, here we are. Well, we can uh, we can do this about as fast as you did the Tennessee Mile in December, brother. And uh, get uh, no, as a little joke, but it's I, I really <laughs> I do want to respect your time. I literally, bro, after listening to a couple of your podcasts, I feel like this could be a two hour session about you just doting on Stephanie, um, <laughs> which would be cool. Yeah, but the reason I love I'm so grateful, Stephanie, for you to be to be on here and be a part of this because of what I, what I said that he's always talking about you. And I feel like, dude, your, your story is full of hope for people. And I'm so, uh, so appreciative of you and, and the, the, the journey that you've taken, the journey that you're on and, and being willing to share that. And I know that, uh, that Stephanie, you've been a huge part of that. <laughs> Just leave it. What is? Uh, it's, it's my iPad. It's just, just leave it. I mean, I'm not doing anything. It just falls uh, on its own. <laughs> that's fine. All right, we're back. All right, cool. Well, I literally, man, I I'd like to break. I'll let you guys talk about as much as you as much as you want. Um, I really feel like this could be a conversation of hope with rather than being it by yourself and you telling your story and sprinkling in Stephanie, I'd really love to hear the story of you guys, because it's not just you. I just, I don't think for hearing from hearing from you, I don't think that you would be where you are if you were doing it on your own. Um, Just, just from what you've said. And so I kind of just want this to be a, a very similar or what I would ask is just, you know, sharing your story and we can get, kind of go through it a little bit, but from the perspective of you guys, both of you, not just, not just you, Justin, you know? And so um, just a little bit about, about you two. I, there's, I don't know, I've got my notes, but I don't know a ton about you. I will say for people listening or watching this, okay. Your Instagram handles, ultra dad and hippie trail wife. <laughs> so there's a whole lot that if somebody didn't know you, there's a whole lot that they could surmise just by, just by that. And so knowing if you know a connection to ultra <clears throat> running that connects, I, I see that as you're an ultra runner, but you're also trying to be the best dad that you can be for your, for your boys. And, uh, Stephanie would love to hear actually the, um, the sort of, the message or mission behind hippie trail wife. I mean, there's three things in there, hippie trails, 
and you're a wife. So Justin, you got the dad thing going and Stephanie, you got the wife thing going. So there's a family connection here between you guys, but how did you pick? I just curious, how'd you pick that name? It's so catchy. Well, I'm a hippie, obviously, with the hair. <laughs> and I'm his wife, and I have little grapple dead tattoos everywhere. So that yeah. just speaks for itself. Um, but I mean, I also enjoy the trails too. Um, they're th- therapeutic for me as well, and they've helped me through struggles because, I mean, everyone praises me for supporting Justin, but it, it goes both ways. I'm just not sure. as open as he is about struggles and things (laughs) and your daily life. I love the videos that you post every day. It's uh, the first time I saw you, Justin was before Tennessee mile through part of the web of ultra runners that are connected to mid state and came across you. I remember one of my first recollections of seeing some of your posts was when you were sick and you can't, and it wasn't very far off from the Tennessee mile. And you're like, okay, if I, if I'm paraphrasing, but I, I remember some of it, like, you're like, okay, I, I can't smell. I can't really taste. I've got a headache <laughs> and a fever. I just got tested and they said negative. And so you went, you battled this for like a few days and I'm like, man, this guy's going to be running Tennessee mile in a little bit. And then all of a sudden you were like gold, man. You were showing, you had these like big bowls of rice or something that you were eating. From. Yeah. Yeah. I was carb loading like crazy. Yeah. And your, and your videos were just fun loving and funny but also there's there was that serious drive and then yeah. i saw you at tennessee miles like man this guy this dude's going after it and um i couldn't believe the pace that you that you kept up you looked so strong and that's what that's what i get really from both of you and and stephanie i know i i mean i i followed justin's um justin's posts and he makes a lot a lot more but it's whenever there's pictures of you guys, you're doing stuff, you're smiling, you're laughing. And I know there's struggle behind that. I know there is, there is for everybody. There is for me and my wife, but you can kind of tell when someone's being genuine and not just posting the good pictures and the good videos. It's man, these people are just like, they just like living life to the fullest. They've got two boys as your oldest six. You just turned yeah, six. Just turned six. That's your yeah. oldest yesterday, right? Um, yes. And your younger one is how old is he? Four. He'll be five in September. Yep. Okay. So a little over a year apart. That's good. Well, that's <laughs> playmates. Playmates for life. Yeah. That's it, man. Um, yeah. Gabriel was just bragging. He was like, right now I am two years older than Gabriel or Abel. And he was yeah. like, but not for long, you know? And I was like, well, that's a good recognition <laughs> as a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And your, and your house is like almost, I mean, half the time your house is upside down and then a week later it's remodeled and it looks phenomenal. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. We're, we're well, hopping around kind of, yeah. she's like the, uh, uh, foreman. We have like 80 projects that are about 75% done, but I'm like, Oh, well, I don't need to start that until I finish this. Cause it'll be easier to paint the walls with no floors. And it's just yeah. Yeah. Well, for a, from a guy who can barely paint a birdhouse, what I see you guys doing is just phenomenal. You can do it yourselves with two young boys running around. 
she she kind of just like bites off these projects kind of like i do like races yeah like where she'll just start undoing something and then we're in it you know what i mean and like we're on youtube or we're researching how to do it we ordered this big fancy fridge and the guys moved it in they're like this isn't gonna fit and then stephanie is hacking down a wall and i'm like well i guess we're removing walls now and (laughs) That was, was just, like, that was just. I was like, "Hey, can you uh let me know if there's any wires back here? Because I'm about to just take a yeah." I was like, like take a just saw. <laughs> so, I love there's... that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're That's... bouncing around, getting getting the house uh, renovated, and you know, doing you know, doing one thing at a time, but also yeah. a lot at the same time. Yeah, like yeah. floors, huge project, but yeah. almost. <laughs> So, and you, you're both former military. I know Justin, you were, you were in for a little bit and then uh, you're actually, you, I know you were in the army for a little bit. Yep. Did you go to ranger school as well? What was your, what was your, no, so there? my uh, little touch in the special operations world was I went to uh, special forces assessment selection and ended up getting selected to become a green beret. And I went through a portion of that pipeline. Um, at Fort Bragg at the the warfare center there. And, um, but yeah, we met in the army. We met in the 101st airborne in Clarksville, Tennessee. She what was, year at, was that? When did you guys meet? 2014. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah November, 2014. Okay. The day I got back from Afghanistan, cause he, he had met all my friends that I was deployed with, but I was a straggler. I was the very last person to leave. So everyone had was home two months before I was. So they all met him. And then I came home and I met yeah. him for the first time. And I was like, Hey, who's this drunk guy? He's funny. I like him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, how long were you and Stephanie? Oh, eight ish, nine years, almost okay. nine. Bam. Okay. Well, uh, thank you both for your service as well as I know, uh, Stephanie being in eight or nine years, I, I've come to realize that, you know, uh, having a spouse or family member in the military is a family commitment. It's yeah. not just the one person who's, um, in it and, and being deployed and, and going through all that. It's a, it's a family deal. And you guys started out there together. So I, I, I commend both of you. I thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for your service. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. We Thanks appreciate for your support. support. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, it definitely paid the, I mean, it, it made a foundation for our marriage because we, yeah. she was like a platoon sergeant and I was, you know, going after becoming a green beret. So we were these two people who weren't necessarily soft or, or at least we couldn't be soft on the outside. And so we, we started together tough in, in our marriage. Like she knew me as somebody who could go withstand a bunch of stuff in the woods. And I knew her as a tough platoon leader. Well, we had like a brotherhood that a lot of people don't have. Yeah. Just before being, we from were being either. in the military, we have that brotherhood that everybody has yeah. with every, every other veteran, you know, and then yeah. on top of our marriage bond. Yeah. Yeah. Was um, it? That's interesting. It brings up an interesting question. Was it difficult to get over that brotherhood type of relationship to have a romantic relationship in marriage? Was there any, is there anything like that? I'm just kind of curious. I don't think it was more like, I think it's more of an understanding of struggles that we deal with every day as like, as far as 
you know, the mental health stuff that we acquired from our time and, and, and just, just little things that like, I'll catch him and I'll be like, Ooh, that's like a drill sergeant or like, yeah. you know, like chill out. <laughs> so, but, or just little temperaments that we're just more, we're just more understanding of because of it. And so, or there yeah. are those experiences. Yeah. And especially with like my military background and his police background, that makes me more empathetic too, as well. Yeah, that's true. And understanding. We were both very, like we were very good soldiers, but we were also very yeah. free spirited to be in the army. Yeah. So yeah. although we had that brotherhood, we were also, we had this connection that like, we were like, maybe this isn't where we belong forever. You yeah. know what I mean? Maybe there's yeah. something else out there with a little less restraint on, you know, for us, you know, and we both had that connection. So we almost stepped out of the brotherhood together and went to go. We got out of the army back to back and yeah. like went off to venture into the world and like confused veteran. And then I went right into police. You're talking to so a decade almost. And then with the police, a decade of indoctrinated individuals trying to figure out who they are at 30 plus. You're mourning your identity. <laughs> essentially and we went we got to go through it together so we're more understanding of what one another is experiencing throughout did that, that did you you saw did you see that play out the understanding of each other as you were going through that oh yeah and yeah. even sometimes one of us leaned on each other more than the other and then we have to be like oh yeah we got to take care of ourselves too so it's like it's all a balancing act and it's like it's a lifelong balancing act. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely. A, I mean, it's culture shock getting out of the military, and you know, a lot of people fear it for the stability and the safety that you have in the military with health insurance, housing, and stuff. And um, you know, I mean, we took the we took that jump, but we didn't do it alone. A lot of people do it alone. And well, we, we had a plan. Yeah, and, we had a and, good plan. Yeah, and like I said, I did it first. And then, so we saw like maybe the little mistakes that I made uh, yeah. in the getting out process. And then she, you know, didn't make those same mistakes. So her uh, transition out was a little softer, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was, yeah. that was, it was an event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So if we can just kind of, kind of breeze through a little bit of your backstory, Justin, and uh, how, uh, you know, I've heard you say from the ages of like 13 to 21, man, you were a hard charger, yeah. uh, getting after it. And in a lot of ways, not some very, very destructive ways, right? We don't have to yeah. go into it, but it's, I mean, you can imagine somebody who, with a lot of energy, a lot of passion, probably misdirected. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? What I'm thinking of with a lack of direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you can, what's interesting and we'll get to this, I think towards the end, I mean, you've, you're, you're redirecting that all of that, that passion and that, that energy that you have inside of you in, in healthy ways. And so, so at 21, you turn things around with the help of some other people. Right. And this is before you guys met. So correct me if I get the dates wrong, I did do a little bit of research again, Easier to do research on you, Justin. So Stephanie, you're gonna have to, <laughs> yeah. have to fill us in. But I'm kind of want to get to the point of where 
your of your story, your, your two stories, but it, your background, at least yeah. I know from your background, Justin plays a part of that because at 21, you kind of clean up, you kind of get on a better path. And then shortly after that, I'm guessing is when you, well, it probably was a few years, a few years before you went to the army. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was, so, I, I went into the army after, so at 21, I, you know, got the help from friends and family. And then for about a year and a half was living in an apartment and waiting tables. And I had almost joined the Navy prior. So I had already done all the paperwork to enlist, but I literally just didn't ship out. So I went to the army crew, uh, recruiter one day, uh, when I was done waiting tables, um, I was literally riding a bike and I rode up there and I, and I went to the Marines and they said I had too many tattoos um, that they wouldn't let me join. And they said, but the army, the army will definitely take you. And I walked in. Yeah. (laughs) And I walked in there and uh, they were like, yeah, man, you're not kidding. You literally have done everything you need to do. I've been through maps, the whole process. They're like, I cannot believe (laughs) you didn't ship out. Like, how did that happen? And I was like, I don't know, man. I just decided not to go. And um, they're like, well, you can pick a job right here. Your ASVAB score is uploaded. And uh, I said, which, what kind of trade job leaves the soonest? Like electrician, mechanic, or something like that. And they're like, diesel mechanic leaves in three months. And I was like, there we go, bro. Let's do it. And uh, I was off to the Army. And I made that geographical change. And when I got to the Army, I still pursued sobriety with the same, you know, conviction and deliberation that like I did when before, but that sort of died off. Um, right. So I went to special forces assessment and selection in 2013 and I ended up losing my map and not getting selected. And then I trained for another eight months. And within that eight months, I moved from Fort Benning, Georgia to Clarksville, Tennessee and joined the 101st airborne still training to go to special forces assessment selection at the time we hadn't met, but I had met her a group of friends and I was training with a bunch of these people to get ready to go to special forces assessment selection. And I went and got selected and a few of our other friends went and got selected. And then, so we're all kind of like on cloud nine party mode, waiting to ship out to go become a green beret. We haven't met yet. We hadn't met no, yet. I was still and <laughs> We're partying one night and I'm drinking in the barracks and our friends are like, hey, the last of the uh, whatever's coming home, Alpha Company's coming in. You want to go see him? And uh, I was like, sure. And we, we get there and I ended up, I, that's the first time I saw her is when she got off the plane with all the other soldiers. And uh, they're like, there's Stephanie. And I had heard about her coming home, you know, Sergeant uh, Lewis, what she, what she was at the yeah. time. Sergeant Lewis is so awesome, or Sergeant Lewis is mean, she's hardcore. So I was anticipating meeting this person. And she lived up to her name, and she was a little – in the Army, she was like a social butterfly. You know what I mean? She had this confidence. She had a rank, and she walked around. She, you know, she wasn't nervous or anything. And uh, I was a social butterfly. So we, you know, we met, and we connected, and we found ourselves you know, hanging out after everyone else was passed out. And we were be smoking cigarettes in a in a bathroom in someone's yeah. house. You know what I mean? Like the fan on, like the light or staying up, and hours passed everyone else. And we and we found out we kind of had that same thing to where, you know, everyone else was done partying, but we weren't we weren't done. And yeah. um, 
So we did sort of experience that yeah. in the beginning, some addictive traits with 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 her as well, as we would we wouldn't have enough, you know what I mean? Yeah. So we would just stay up with each other all I night talking. Pregnant. So, I had so to she quit. got pregnant and had to quit drinking. Yeah. So yeah, I was a cigarette smoker and that was even hard to quit. Yeah. So oh, yeah. we're we're talking and being friends and whatnot. And then life happens and takes off and now we're dating. And before I know it, she's about to go to New Mexico to become a recruiter. And I'm shipping out to uh, Fort Bragg to become a Green Beret. And we're like, the only way we can stay together is if we get married right now. And so we were sure enough in our love for one another that we went down to a courthouse <laughs> with two friends as witnesses and uh, two hung. Everybody was hungover. Yeah. We all had sunglasses on. Oh, my God. And uh, we, uh, you know, set our vows and we got married right we then paid, and there. We paid the guy $17. $17, yeah. I think at the courthouse. That's <laughs> <laughs> all we had. And so, we get home, <laughs> so we get home and the next morning she takes a pregnancy test and finds out she's pregnant with Gabriel. Yeah. And so that, so everything, uh, <laughs> a lot of our family didn't believe us at the time. They do now. We so, were together for only like <laughs> six months. Yeah. They were like, y'all we got like married each she other got for six months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and knew, like, but we knew as soon as we met each other, I was like, I like this one. I want, I want him to be my mind forever. That's the one. <laughs> yeah, we were dead. We were, I knew we were it. Sure. Yeah. We, were, we were dead sure. Um, so there was no regret. And like we, mm -hmm. we did it and the military kept us together and off to Fort Bragg we went. But her. My orders got canceled. Yeah, her orders got canceled because yeah. the special operations, even though she outranked me, the special operations trumps everything. And so she had to follow me to Fort Bragg. I did not want to go. No, the 101st Airborne is notorious for being like active and busy and, and, and yeah. hardcore. She's going there pregnant. And so we get there and, um, you know, uh, you heard on the other podcast and, and I'm sure the rest of my stories that, you know, I ended up dropping out of special forces and uh, or special the, the pipeline. I was not a Green Beret. I was attempting to become one. I dropped out of the pipeline and well the plan was originally for him to go special forces and i was going to get out because i was pregnant and then he quits and tells me yeah so i dropped uh, out yeah. <laughs> like so sure her career was just demolished yeah. because of mine and then i'm in the middle of the woods and make a decision on my own to change our lives drastically and i quit yeah and I come home and, you know, she at the time, I mean, I don't know, it's good to have her here because a lot of times I just say what I think. But I was like expecting her to be a lot more mad. But I think maybe she was protecting me because I've. it was a big decision to quit. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Huge. Like quitting. I mean, I put out years of work in doing this. And um, I think she maybe felt bad that I quit and took it easy on me. Yeah. I don't know. Well, so, I know that he beats himself up enough when he doesn't accomplish things or like do what he says. So I don't put fuel on the fire. I'm like, eh, he's got it. It's cool. He's gonna he's gonna make himself feel bad enough. I don't need to add to it. And then like I was going through my own struggles with a six week old baby at home. Like I was like, okay, God, cool. You didn't want to do special forces. Here's your child. <laughs> like so. 
Like, I felt bad for him, but we also had bigger fish to fry. And I was glad he was home because being a mom by myself was really hard, too. Okay. So selfish motives behind. Yeah, so yeah. I quit. when I dropped out, I was, like, 14 days into a 40-day stint in the woods where we were writing letters on waterproof paper. And they were like, well, this might reach your spouse. Yeah. And I don't think you didn't get any letters. No, she didn't no get letters. anything that I said. Uh, but I mean, I, who, who knows had I stayed longer, maybe she would have. But so there was some reprieve when I got home. Yeah. Two. I missed You know her. what I mean? She missed me. She now had the father of her, of our newborn baby home. Mm-hmm. And well, I had just gotten to Georgia too when you called me that you quit. Yeah, she went to go visit family here in Georgia. And I called her and said, hey, I dropped out. And she turned around and came right back uh, to <laughs> North Carolina. And that's when my drinking kind of skyrocketed um, to a point. And then I didn't have that structure from the military. I wasn't waking up and being, doing force PT and doing all this um, special operations stuff. And so I just ended up, you know, I, I started looking like an alcoholic, you know what I mean? And I had this, this silly job and, and working in a tool shed. And um, I looked at her and was like, hey, can I be a cop? Oh, I fought it for so long. Yeah, I she did not really. Yeah, because I was like, what's the difference between you being a cop and you being in the military? You got out. I like we wanted to avoid working the holidays and weekends and nights and like and being like on overtime. That's why we were getting out of the military, because I think what? 30 days after I got back from maternity leave, I had to leave gabriel at like what he was what four months old i had to leave him yeah and so i was like i don't want to do this i don't want to do this. <laughs> like so and then i thought a cop was the same thing yeah so, so i she, didn't i fought it yeah she fought it but eventually she gave in just do it maybe whatever yeah <laughs> like, yeah so I guess just to kind of tell me about that a little bit, Stephanie, you, you say you eventually gave in. I mean, it sounds like from what you mentioned previously, Justin, when you, when you quit with, on your own and then come home, I mean, that's a, that's a decision that could break up a relationship on its own. Right. Particularly, I mean, you were, you had a few week old, six week old baby. So, uh, you know, I mean, your, your body's changing, emotions are running high and, but you, took the good with the, not the bad, but I mean, you took the good news with the bad news of, all right, I, I didn't get to do what I, <laughs> I didn't get to do what I wanted to do because I had to stay with him in special forces, yeah. but now we've got this baby and he could be home. So it was, you, you kind of, seems like you kind of focused on that a little bit more. Yeah, I was, well, I was depressed. I was. I was going through postpartum depression. I had gained, like, I was super in shape before I got pregnant. And then I gained a ton of weight with Gabriel. And and then we moved to Bragg because when he left to go to Fort Bragg, I was at Campbell for a good four or five months of the pregnancy by myself. So I was deceiving. You know, I was just by myself, depressed. Maz was drinking and you know I've only known him for less than a year and I'm pregnant with his child so it wasn't a good time for us um but and how long were but you were still in when did you get out of the army what year 
I got out in 2017 as well. You got out in February. I got out in September 2017. Okay. So it was shortly after because I think he he was like, I want to be a cop. He wasn't in a good spot. And I noticed that. And so I was like, all right, I'm not in a good spot either. So let's change our life is essentially what we did. And so he was like, well, I want to be a cop. And I was just like, well, or whatever, whatever gets me out of the army too. So at that point I was like, go be a cop. So then he leaves me again and goes to Georgia and I'm a brag waiting to get out of the army, pregnant again with <laughs> our second one because we went to Vegas and once happened to Vegas, did not stay in Vegas. Did not stay there. <laughs> Abel came home with you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Abel and I. laughs> So, yeah. Yeah, I was pregnant and I had a one-year-old. And so I was seven pregnant and I had a one-year-old and I moved our entire house by myself from from North Carolina to Georgia to meet up with him to be a cop while he was being a cop or becoming a cop when we were in school. And so, yeah, in the police academy living in his grandma's basement. And then... Yeah. We bought a house. No, no, go ahead. Was it? Yeah. Really got yeah, out yeah. in was it September or July? I don't know. One of those two. <laughs> so what was so you both got out in 2017, different times, but you talked about it earlier. You're starting this post-military life together, which is extremely challenging. Plus, you're doing it with a kid and another one on the way. So what was 2017 to 2019 like? Because I know 2019 for you, Justin, pretty much turned everything around, right? And and, and kept got you on the track to the the person that you are now and the yeah. person you're becoming, right? So what was 2017 to 19 like? So I joined, I started the police academy in May. And I was living in my grandma's basement um, in Flowery Branch, Georgia. <laughs> driving you know to the city you know and it was over it was like an hour and a half drive to the police academy every morning and my buddy edgar who you hear me talk about so often um who was shot and killed he he drove from uh almost where we live now you know to decay it was crazy he drove from habersham county uh if anyone listening knows where that is all the way down to uh decab county for the police academy um and it was wild but so I was in the police academy for about three months and then she comes, she comes back and that for, so for three months I was drinking and, and, and at the police academy and I was drinking in my grandma's basement and then we bought a house and I moved to that house and it was about two weeks there where I was still drinking and the instructor at the same time as her moving to Georgia, the instructor caught on this to my drinking or at least mentioned it at in the academy and so i knew well she's coming back she can't she didn't know how that how much of an alcoholic i was well, i was just to not be drinking yeah i was supposed now. to be sober but like i was totally was drinking every himself. single day yeah and <laughs> so i was like well i gotta stop drinking for these two reasons and i did and she came out she came there and during the police academy um abel was born in september and then I graduated the police academy in November and went, I spent um, nine weeks in, in field training and then 
it was off to the streets as a police officer and we were did we were all gun ho us our whole academy like we were just um go-getters you know out in the streets you know really being proactive and trying to stop crime like just passionate about it and uh at the same time i had this different darkness that no one knew about which was my alcoholism and uh and substance abuse, really, in any way, anything that would make me feel a certain way, and I liked it, I would have just abused the heck out of it. And um, and I found myself uh, just drink drinking myself to death. Like, like we would be watched on having a movie night, and I would just go into the. We always lived in dry counties for some reason. I don't, and so we didn't have <laughs> liquor stores. So I would go Stop and buy malt nothing. liquors, and, or like you know, it, or wild Irish rose, just disgusting malt liquor drinks that were high alcohol content. And I would chug them in the closet and come back out and watch movie night and sometimes get sick and have to go back and puke. And, and then, you know, have to be like, you know, well, there was a point where he was working night shift and he was like, we were living just two different lives uh, because he would sleep during like we lived in the tiniest house ever and i had a newborn and i had this toddler running around and he worked nights and it had to be quiet had to be dark at, during the day and like but then also i believe he's going into the room and drinking yeah. by him while he was supposed to be sleeping and by himself yeah and like while i was out in the other room taking care mm -hmm. of him. so that was going on during that time as well yeah, that was, I didn't, so. And I, then he was gone ho in DeKalb County, and there was all these shootings, and <laughs> he's talking about pulling people over in the middle of the night and stuff like that. So I'm just like, I don't even know what to think. I don't know. Please don't die. Like, <laughs> that's all. Did you know, yeah, did you know that he, how much he was drinking at this point? Not at that time, no. I yeah. didn't really know what I was getting into. <laughs> I didn't really know the extent of the issues uh, that he had with drinking and his addiction when we first got married. I didn't know it all. Yeah. yeah. We were, yeah. it was hidden by my success in the military. Like, so functional. Yeah. Getting selected and going down that pipeline kind mm -hmm. of protected you as long as you were in it because people are like, yeah, they drink, but that's Green Beret's drink. Green Beret's drink. Everyone uh, drinks. The, the seals overseas, you know, get. Yeah six packs and their you know gun rings or whatever people sent me alcohol and capri suns and then like super glued the whole back and mailed it to afghanistan that way and it that's was just a way of life like, yeah like alcohol was a thing like you it was weird if you didn't drink yeah <laughs> so it was just accepted yeah. like the fact that i was like a full-blown alcoholic was hidden uh so yeah. by the fact that i was just going down this pipeline and succeeding in the military and then i didn't even think about the fact that yeah i was on night shift i was working 10 p.m to 8 a.m and so i would get home and uh, i would stop and get those malt liquors i was talking about and go into the room and i would never be able to sleep and so i would take i would drink zequil like so crazy i don't even remember this and so she just said i would drink like a half a bottle of zequil a day well when i get home and i would drink uh the the wild Irish rose or wine. I drank a lot because it was high in alcohol content um, and red wine I thought would make me sleepy. So I was drinking. I like wine too. There was just tons of bottles. There was those box things 
little box ones, you know, the screw cap, just tons of those smashed up in the pockets of like our jackets in the closet and stuff. You know what I mean? Um, people in addiction or heavy, deep in addiction, they get weird. You know what I mean? They get these weird tendencies. Like I was this indoctrinated, clean, organized person that was like hoarding these things. Why wouldn't I just take them with me and throw them away? You know what I mean? I was hoarding these, these empty wine things. Like it was that part of the addiction. I don't know. Um, so yeah, so I'm working nice and I'm just compounding on top of this alcoholism by myself, like in this room. Um, and then, uh, Edgar gets shot and killed. He, he conducts a traffic stop on December 13th, 2018. And the individual he stopped took off on foot and Edgar chased him. Um, without all the details, Edgar ended up getting shot and killed. And my downhill, downhill spiral, uh, you know, downward spiral just skyrocketed, man. Um, because I had an excuse and I had someone, something else to blame. And I could, I was a little, you know, could be a little bit more open with it. And then she would just, you know, his freaking academy mate just got murdered. Uh, you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. sad. Um, and, you know, I, and then soon after, so I didn't, I didn't clean up right after uh, <laughs> I got my, so it got worse and worse and worse, but I got selected a position for homicide came open and I, put in for it and I ended up getting selected. So here I am again, kind of like in the army, you know, doing good in my career. <clears throat> and that's kind of overshadowing these problems I'm having at home because everyone's like, he just made homicide. He is a homicide detective and the highest, you know, the county with the highest murder rate in the state of Georgia. It's like, it means something. And it all came to a crashing end when I, you know, I hit uh, a, a homeless person. So essentially someone who was panhandling on the side of the road, I hit them with my car and uh, I haven't been to court for that. So I won't go into any more details other than I ended up in jail. Um, and she came and picked me up and I stayed sick and I stayed drinking and abusing. I, at the time I was getting a lot of um, muscle relaxers from the VA and so I would take those and drink. And what actually ended up happening was I didn't, one night I didn't end up drinking. I just was abusing the other substances. And this crazy cycle I was in where I would wake up with these like migraine headaches and I couldn't open my eyes just from drinking that nasty malt liquor. And I just have just such bad headaches. The only thing that would fix it is more alcohol. Well, that cycle had been broken for 24 hours. I remember waking up and not stealing that desperate need to grab another drink and when i was i stayed sober for most of the morning and then i felt that that shame i was looking in the mirror and i felt the shame just that you know <clears throat> the news articles of me hitting somebody you know detective willie loses badge so on so forth everyone texting everyone texting me were blown. like it was overwhelming for me and it wasn't even me yeah it, so <laughs> it all came to a crashing you know halt and i just like i don't know i shaved my head on july 25th and um i uh started to attack staying sober and i was on a paid administrative leave pending termination so it was like god had given me this opportunity to we came up with a plan yeah, at that point we're like all right just start running that's what right now we know running and going to AA meetings all day, every day, 
and the rehab outpatient that's keeping you sober. So just keep doing that. Well, and then I was also still depressed at this point. So it was something we both you know, like I was still depressed. Like I never stopped being depressed through all of this because you had gotten sober what like four times between this because like that's how I found out and then like you would start drinking again and so after the first time he got sober I quit I quit drinking because I was like how can I tell him to not drink if I'm drinking as well I feel like that if I don't know it's just like a packed like you just I talked about it with I talked about with my buddy on my run today like you can't and something that detrimental and life-threatening you got to have a spouse well, all in. I like pizza. And if I'm on a diet, <laughs> you better not order pizza. I'm like, no. So I had quit drinking. I, I was like, I'm done. And, and so it wasn't a thing in our house, in our life. So he was, that's why he was extra hiding it throughout that time. And then by the last time I saw, I was like, you know what guy, like, I don't trust you anymore to be the provider of our family. Um, and, and while he was doing all this, cause we're both grinders when we're depressed. And then we're, when we're, when we're trying to mask hiding what we're doing, we succeed. Both of us do. And so while he's doing all this and while I'm depressed, I was all, I got a, an associate's degree in accounting I, and then I was like, I want to go to law school. And so I got a bachelor's degree in philosophy. And then I got my paralegal certification. And then I had started my master's degree in logistics and transportation management. And so like, that's when I was like, okay, I'm done with you. Uh, I'm going to go find a job. Like, so, and then this was good for me too. Like you stay home and take care of yourself and I'm going to go out and I need to get back out and be out in the world. This will, this will give me an identity too. So it was kind of like a good switch for both of us. And then I find, I was just applying like crazy on LinkedIn. I made my resume and then I finally got a job at Dominion Voting. And then that's when, like, so we were like, hey, even if, like, so then at that point, we didn't know if he was going to get fired or not. So we were like, okay, we had to make a decision, though, I think, because you, it was like three months between the accident and him getting fired from DeKalb County that he, we had to figure out what we're going to do with our life. I was like, Hey, we got two kids. We can't wait for DeKalb County to decide what's going to happen. We have three months. Let's take advantage of this. So it got down to the point where I had a job already before he even got fired. So it was like, okay, we'll just walk out there and tell him to quit. Even if they want to keep you because I'm done with this cop thing. You had your chance. Let's move on. Like, so that's where we were at with that. Like, I kind of, I was just like, okay, you had a chance. Like, it's done. Because he still wanted to do it for a bit. It's very hard. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard to unsheepdog a sheepdog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is a brotherhood and a connection that I cannot describe. Um, and it took me a long time to emotionally disconnect from it. Um but I can still support it from the outside, you know? Um, 
And I'm so glad she's on the podcast for this reason, for the reason that just happened is I didn't even think of the aspect of her going back out in the workforce and gaining that independence and, you know, that routine and that structure and stuff and being of a benefit to her. You know what I mean? So like our whole life just. It swapped. Swapped. So I was this, at first I was going to become a Green Beret, knuckle dragging, pike hitting, hardcore guy. And then I get out and then I'm a homicide detective, you know, and I was literally Super cool. It was cool. I love telling everyone my husband was a home. I was like, yeah, cool. You're a this one. The <laughs> and, then now, and then now I'm a stay-at-home dad. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm a stay-at-home dad. So I had to accept the identity. I was literally driving my two sons <laughs> to, to Mother's a, Morning Out. To a place called Mother's Morning Out every morning. And then I would go <laughs> run. But <sighs> so I started running while on administrative leave and I told her I wanted to become a professional ultra marathon runner. Uh, Anything I, but being a cop. Yeah. So she didn't care. And yeah. I don't even know if she knew it. So you were good. Done. Not going to be a cop. And it sounds yeah. like, okay, there's a, there's a whole lot. Here Sorry. That you guys just said, no, 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 no. It's awesome. So it, if I remember hearing correctly, Justin, your decision basically to turn your life around, get sober was almost in an instant when you're, and I think the way you've told it is you're kind of looking at yourself in the mirror, whether you were doing it um, actual literally or whether or figuratively. And you're like, this can't be my life. Yeah. And you shaved your head right there. I literally shaved and my it was, head. I mean, it's almost reminds me of, I think like Goggins did the same thing. It was like, he's looking at himself in the mirror and he's like, this isn't going to be my life. And he shaves his head and he created the persona that he is today. It's very similar. It sounds like you were just like, that's it. I'm done. I'm moving on. What am I going to do to, uh, to, to signal that I'm going to be different from here going forward You shave your head. And then this is going to sound really weird, but it's almost like I get the visions of like, what do you, you just felt like running. It's like a forest gum thing. What are you going to do? I'm going to run. Okay, <laughs> so, what, does that, what does that mean? Well, number one, it means you're not going to be a cop. So that's, that's a good thing that help, you know, that makes you feel a little bit better, Stephanie, but it also, so you, you mentioned Stephanie too, that when you guys get depressed, stressed, whatever you, you become productive. Yeah. So you get out of that. It sounds like you get out of that by doing, by executing, by, by immersing yourself into something. So you became super productive and helped you, I'm guessing helped you get out of that depressed state a little bit. And Justin, it's like running's your thing. You've got all this energy and passion inside of you, bro. And you've got to get it out somehow when you were in your teens, it was recklessness, recklessness and destruction when, and then you found, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, being in the military green beret, um, that it's just that same kind of almost like bravado, right? It's Wildness, that hard yeah. charging wild. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, but you go through this pre- period to where you found, you got to that, that um, disempowering and negative outlet again in the drinking until you just, yeah. until you, you really, by the grace of God, you guys are, are on an amazing path now because that, I mean, that, that could have been <laughs> horrific in 2019. And, and yet, here you are. I know that I know you've got some things to resolve with that, but 
before I knew your backstory, I'm just looking at you as this dude's a stud on the trail. He's got this amazing marriage and you find this outlet. It's like, you're okay. Running. That's how you stay sober, stay productive. You swap roles. What was that kind of like for you, Justin, as far as swapping roles? Was it like complete acceptance right away? Like, this is what I have to do to turn my life around. Or was it, how much of a transition was it? It was definitely a transition. I remember, so I read Can't Hurt Me. And I, I think that played into me shaving my head. He, <laughs> so, and I did put um, two sticky notes on my mirror. Uh, the one said, ride, do a 20 mile or a hundred mile bike ride and run t- or run 20 miles. Those are my goals to get to where I could run 20 miles straight. And I had a little road bike and get to where I could ride for a hundred miles. You know what I mean? And I had those stickers and I shaved my head. And I, and until you said it, I, that's definitely where I got it from. So I just read can't hurt. I'd read can't hurt me. The dichotomy of leadership. Like when I was trying to get sober, I was, you know, attacking all these, you know, strong men who, you know, had been through problems and, you know, had something good to say. And uh, so I listened to all of them. Um, I read their books, but then I stopped. Like I've read can't hurt me. And I never listened to another word Goggins said because I got what I needed out of this book and I didn't need the motivation from these, that's uh, outlet anymore. Um, so yeah, I shaved my head and then I found that I was getting, I was getting these senses of pride from PRs on the treadmill or out on the trails or whatever from running. And those were little victories, you know, almost daily that I was getting, um, that were helping. It's the same type of emotion and like dopamine hit that you get from a destructive habit. Absolutely. It's the same type of thing. It's just a positive outlet. And you add add mountain and you add trails into it and add running downhill and flowing like a kid and run through the woods, man. It's, it's euphoric. Um, and I, I had the plans of just becoming a professional ultra marathon runner. And I put all my eggs into that basket as far as like trying to just run like crazy. And, um, I'd ran a marathon on the treadmill and I remember it was about six months. Um, cause I remember telling someone around that period, I was driving down the road and a cop car passed me and I didn't care. And I didn't, you know, notice anything about the police officer i didn't see you know i would always you're hypersensitive and have everything i know about that police car when i went by and i didn't care and i remember that day i'd accepted that you know i'm not gonna be a cop at least for right now and i let go of it and you know it was something that still i probably until I'd say for the Tennessee mile that I didn't really, I didn't see my career in running, like just to become a professional ultra marathon runner. I don't mean that I'm trying to go beat Jim Walmsley or some of these crazy folks in runs. I mean, make a living off of ultra marathon running, whether that be I gain experience through all these races and become a coach. And now maybe I'm a professional ultra marathon coach or whatever. Um, but until Tennessee Mile, I didn't really think or see it. But after that, I was like, man, I see this. You know what I mean? Because and it was because of people like you, Mike, and everyone who came up to me were like, 
you have something contagious about you or you were inspiring or there was, yeah, you were running, uh, you know, for all these other people, but that was such a great effort. You know, I, I saw because I wasn't running for myself, how much attention I was getting. And I was like, oh, I'm going to compound on this man, because it's, it's selfish and selfless because I need to build a platform in order to tell my story to help people. But I don't care. Like, why don't, there was a point in time where I cared about how many followers I had. And that was before I started running. I had like an Instagram name called like kind of fit cop or something. I was trying to be instant. <laughs> I wanted to be instant famous. And I would put like, That's really, you, man. Hashtags like a thousand times. No. And I was like, I, and I don't care about that, but I do want to build a platform big enough to one scream my brother Edgar's name from and tell his story. He was a Mexican American immigrant who died on this soil for us. And that's just a beautiful story in and of itself. But then I want to tell the story of what we've been through. And more than anything, man, I want to tell people that they don't have to be perfect. We are the farthest thing from perfect. If you look at my Instagram page and her Instagram page and our Facebook, you will get a false picture. There is stuff that goes on behind the scenes. There are parts of an individual who is able to stay out in the woods for 113 hours. There is a crazy negative aspect to that. To the, I have the ability to do that, but there's doubt. There's, there's a downfall too. There's pros and cons. And she deals with the cons and and but the story, the message that I want to get out is it's progress, man. We are making progress. And because you slide back doesn't mean that you have to give up on your journey. You you pony up and you you move forward and you stay in the fight, regardless of how what big of a mistake you made. I rolled her Subaru before oh she made God. a payment on it a few like a month ago. And I had to walk into the house and tell her that I just but I essentially, I mean, I was a cop. I was like, that thing's total. So this was, yeah, and this has been, what, January? So not even a few months ago. This is how, like, numb I am to this sort of news from him. My point is, is that we're pursuing happiness and we're pursuing mental stability and we fall back, but we don't stop pushing forward just because yeah. we have a fallback just because that's an extremely embarrassing moment for me. I'm, yeah. I, I just, you know, finished fierce dragon. Uh, we didn't tell anybody for like two weeks because I was so embarrassed and, and I, and you know, but that's just an example of how numb she is. I've been in more car accidents than I saw a, a, a statistic. It was like the average human beings in four car accidents in their life. In 2019, I was before four car accidents. <laughs> and, uh, it just shows how numb she is to the chaotic um, lifestyle. And, and even, you know, we're living in not chaotic lifestyle, but an event like that would be drastic to any other wife. Yes. Well, because in the middle of that, like I hit a deer and towed one of my cars. Yeah. You so know what I mean? We, we've had some comprehensive like, planes that just look magnetic to us, man. And it's, uh, so anyway, we don't want to, we don't want to, USA. Which is, but this is, this is what I love about you guys. And what I love about seeing what you post, uh, Justin, on your social media is that, and forgive me if this comes, comes across um, wrong, but it looks like you guys are living a messy life, which yeah. is a life well lived. So yeah. And I, and I can say that with respect because I'm someone who tries to live. I am 
compulsive and I wanted to control everything. And I have worked my entire life to get out of a perfectionist mindset. Everything has to be perfect before I act. Everything has to be perfect for this to be good. You guys are, you're, you're charging forward with, with purpose, with, with uh, passion, trying to get better every day. You fall back, you keep going. It's messy, but that's life. Yeah. And you've accepted that so many of us fail to accept how messy life is because the reality is it's messy for everybody. It, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you guys just embrace that messiness <laughs> and you move forward together. And that's what I, that's what I love about yeah. you guys. I love it too. You know, and the philosophy we live off of is, is just what makes me happy or what made me happy a year ago or two years ago won't make me happy today because I'm not the same person I was two years ago. We're constantly growing. And that's hence why we've had four houses in the last five years. We move, our lives are changing. We're kind of, what, what's making us happy is constantly changing. And what I love about being married to Justin is, is that he, like, I'm, I have these like outlandish ideas all the time. My brain is going 50 miles an hour. This move, I literally, I went to him with like a PowerPoint slide. I was like, okay, like this is how we make this work. I want to quit my job. Let me show you how. And like, I was like, here's all these good things that could happen for you. You know, like when I sold it to him, I made it happen. And most of these moves, like they, they switch back and forth, but I wasn't happy anymore in that life. And he supported me in my unhappiness and he heard me. And then that's the biggest thing is communication and hearing each other because I mean, he's messed up and we've changed our life to just what makes him happy and what doesn't, whether he wanted to or not and vice versa. Yeah. And that's it. Like, <laughs> that's all so it just doing. sounds like with everything he went through, you, I'm, he, I'm not hearing like that you, you ever thought of, I just can't deal with this guy anymore. It was, what do we need to do to turn or turn it around? And maybe it's in part, you mentioned too, that you were going through your own, your own struggles. So you guys were kind of struggling together in different ways. Can you tell the Dreadmill 100 story? Because I love, well, first, the reason you did it kind of the, a, just a, a little bit about that. And I want to be cut. It's been an amazing conversation. We've already been at it for almost an hour. But I love that story, man, because of why you did it, how you did it. And what happened, I think it was after mile 50 or 60, right? That's what the folder said. Yeah, the folder said yes. mile 50. It got handed to me at mile 70, yeah. Right, yeah, mile 50 or after. Well, so I had gone through all of uh, Edgar's Facebooks and Rania's and um, Habib's Facebook. Well, tell them tell first because – the treadmill starts with the rickety treadmill in the basement at Wagers Mill. Oh, it's crazy. So, 100 miles on a treadmill in a rickety treadmill in the basement. No, so I was training on a rickety treadmill. Like it was, oh, I can't remember the name of it. It was, I bought it for 80 bucks off like Craigslist. Like a Nordic, I don't know. It was, yeah, it was like a Windsor, Windsor or something. 
Well, star, I don't well, know. So I'm like, I'm big on like, and I did this to the kids too. I've always handled the finances. I'm like, if you want it, you need to earn it. Like, I'm not going to straight out. Like this treadmill he presented to me was very expensive. And I was like, wow. Like how often do people use their treadmills when they buy it? And then I see this poor guy like on the treadmill. He's like, okay, like telling me how he does these calculations because the screen doesn't work and stuff. So eventually we buy him a nice treadmill, which is pretty cool. Um, Cause it, you know, changed the elevation. Like I think I ran in Mount Fuji one time, which was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but, and then that's when he came up with the idea to do the treadmill or the well, treadmill. I ran, a, I ran a marathon yeah. on the treadmill. And I we thought, thought I, that was so cool. Yeah. I, I thought, was so proud. <laughs> I thought I was so, <laughs> I went to go boast on social media. And I put it on a Facebook page and people are basically like, yeah, that's nothing. Check out this race. And it was the Dreadmill 100 miler. And when I'd finished the marathon, I knew that I could run more. I knew I wasn't done. Like I, I knew that I was like, okay, marathon distance isn't for me. One, I'm not fast enough to be any good. <laughs> and two, it just isn't far enough. I don't feel complete. And so we signed up for the Dreadmill and had about a year to train for it. And I spent about half that time, I'd say the first half training on the treadmill uh, like a maniac. And then the second half training in, in uh, Canton, Georgia, where we ended up moving to. And oh, yeah. so we moved from an hour south of Atlanta to, you know, an hour north of Atlanta. And now the date to dreadmill is approaching. And so with the dreadmill, you can choose any date in December. And I thought, well, we can make Edgar's you know, the dead anniversary of his death, we can make this a positive state of mind by, Hey, I'm going to start running at midnight when the, you know, the clock strikes zero, zero, zero one on, you know, December yeah. 13th, I'm going to start running and it'd give everybody something else to focus on, you know, his, his fiance, his mom and everybody. And so it was again, something I was doing, not just for myself, for Edgar and then for everybody else. And I would tune in on Facebook live and Instagram live and she would update and stuff. I had to request off of work and they were like, what do you need off work for? And I was just like, oh, you know, my husband's running a hundred miles on a treadmill. Why? What? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Let's just go with it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It was so fun though. I always tell the story of, so I was running and running and running and, I was naive, keeping a under 20 hour pace. And I wasn't, I didn't have the physical ability to do that. And eventually my left knee gave out and I was found out I was going to have to walk if I was going to continue. And then, so I'm laying on the concrete floor of our basement. It's right. cold and I'm looking up at the wooden rafters and then she comes over with the oh, folder. Yeah. I had them a folder I had made and I had cut out little clippings of, of Facebook posts that everyone made when they first found out that Edgar had passed. And they were all very motivational of why they're going to keep moving. You know, everyone is very emotional when something like that first happens. And they say things that are very uplifting and would move him. And I knew that. And that was why he was doing it. So I didn't say anything to him because it's just, he's not the type of person that you do. Like those motivational things just don't work. <laughs> so I just handed him the folder and I sat back down. 
But it yeah. said on the front of the folder, yeah. it said in big bold letters uh, for mile 50 or after dot, yeah. dot, 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 dot. Crazy. And you well, were about, were you about to quit at that? You were thinking about, that was the closest I have been to dropping out of a race um, ever. Yeah. Ever to this day. Yeah. No, that's the like not the weakest I've been in life. I was just you were right. The mental toll that running on a treadmill well, that, takes on you is that unexplainable. That was awful because he was in our basement and he had like we had all our little end tables around him with uh crock pots on them. And bread, yeah. And, and I didn't even, I didn't think I was I still had this military you got to get the mission done aspect mindset. And I was, I didn't even think about starting at midnight or how that would affect me and that I would, you know, not sleep the day before. And then, so it essentially be almost running on 48 hours. And I didn't think about that. And I just took off running on the treadmill and the, yeah. So there's a sense on the treadmill when you're running for that long, that I, you, you just want to get off. You want to change something. Nothing can change. You know, you can only flip through the TV so many times. You have your thousand song playlists. You don't care about it anymore. And I couldn't be down there with them because we had the kids. And the kids were in the crown on the treadmill or like, we need to So they dinner. go, yeah, the kids go down. <laughs> At that point in time, they're still going to sleep around 7, 7.30. So I knew by then she would be able to come down and stay with me. And I just wanted someone because she came down there and we legit just talked. She sat in a chair and she brought magazines that she didn't even use. And we just talked. And I would like, I was walking at like a 13, 14 minute pace and like swinging my leg around and uh, we got it done. Yeah. We got mm-hmm. it done in 23 and a half. Official time was 23 and a half hours. We didn't do the extra. So no, so that was the official time. So the unofficial oh, okay. time was like 23 hours and five minutes. But then I had, when I first started the circuit breaker blue <laughs> two miles in or almost two miles in and I didn't get the picture. You're supposed to take a picture to send in to the race director. So I had to do that again. And uh, yeah, that was slow going. I'm surprised to stop the whole thing. Just so I didn't think I didn't think about the the mental and emotional aspect of running 24 hours on a treadmill. And I say that because I ran for 10 minutes on a treadmill this afternoon and I was about to go crazy because yeah. I'm like, this is monotonous 10 minutes and you did it for 20 over 23 hours. So there's not only an, um, I didn't think about that. There's not only a physical, obviously tremendous physical toll. And you were going through that with um with your knee early on but there's an emotional toll too being in the basement on the treadmill this is what i'm looking at for 23 to 24 hours yeah i can't imagine and you so what i what i love about this is stephanie you thought ahead knowing that this was going to be hard supporting him before he even started when i know Somewhat, I mean, rightfully so, a lot of, I'll say wives, but spouses, yes, I think they support us in our crazy running, but I think there's also a side of them that's like, this is crazy. And I, and they don't like to see us go through the pain, mm-hmm. which I get, right. I've been, I've seen a lot of, I've seen my wife act that <laughs> way towards me, which, and I, and I don't even go a 10th as far as you do. 
um, and, and others that, you know, you see your loved one in pain like that and the emotion kicks in and you want to help them and protect them. But you knew this was <laughs> no. so important. So I am very harsh compared to Justin and very bold. I mean, are you just like, suck it up. You're going to do this during it, during fierce dragon. Everyone was like, Oh my God, it's just an okay. And I was like, dude, he paid for this. He's fine. Like, like, uh, like he knew it was going to be cold. He knew how he was going to feel at 200 miles. This is part of it. What I do, what I feel like my job throughout it, it all is to advocate for him as if I were Justin when he's coming up with his goals. So uh-huh. he's hurting, but I'm like, hey, under 24 miles, let's walk or let's talk you more walking. Let's go. <laughs> you know, like at that point. So like even after his races, he doesn't get rest days. You have children like, okay. You ran your race. I'll let you sleep, but like now the kids need to be taken. Like I don't, I don't have any. I'm fierce, just like after Fierce this. Dragon, we there was a snowstorm, so this <laughs> we finished Fierce Dragon at three a.m. I think, with and the then kids. with the kids, we get home and the power's out, and it's twenty degrees and a snowstorm's happening, and I have a brand new generator that just box. that just came in the mail in the box, <laughs> like a full size generator. The the UPS guy was freaking out. He said, "I did not know you could buy a generator and have it shipped to your house like this." And uh, like 400 pounds. <laughs> and yeah, I'm out there in the snow. I hadn't run 200 miles and crossed, slipping around, getting this generator, had to go get gas. Uh, there was trees down all through our neighborhood because we live in the wilderness. So there's trees all down, no county maintenance. It's, it's improved yeah. by, the, by the hillbillies who live here. Yeah. <laughs> well, like literally when the race was finishing, he was like, it was like, okay, you were finished. Like, okay, good job, Justin. You're done. But like the roads are icing, we all gotta go, or we're gonna get stuck here. That's how bad it was. So, so there's like, no, there's <laughs> no, I was telling uh, my buddy on my run today, he was talking about it. He said his crew almost holds him to such a high regard. Mm-hmm that it's to his detriment so like one time he needed to quit a race like he was like i know my body like i'm about to die <laughs> and he was like his crew kept pushing him and pushing him and i was like that's my wife like she yeah. and she won't push me too far but i mean she i'll hold will, him to a standard yes i'm like well it's gonna hurt when he finish now or 20 miles so and that's so that's one thing <laughs> I wanna, that's one thing i want to talk about real quick is that the the idea of not finishing is never spoken about. No, never, never. And so it's never entertained, and no, that's something that's not that doesn't go the same. Like I heard I, before Cool Joel in the parking lot, everybody's crew was prepping them, and individuals were talking about if you want to quit or by this time when you if we have to drop blah blah blah, and it's not we don't plan for it, we don't talk about never. it. It's not going to happen. It's not a part of our plan. I mean, it's, it may one day, but like, as far as our mental state of mind, it's not happening. So we don't talk about it. And so when I come in past my cutoff where she's like, you wanted to run this race in 21 hours, you're way past that. It's not even talked about. It's like, okay, here's your water. You know, you're going a little slow. Why? Okay. Here, try to go faster. 
out of here. And, and I, I don't have a chance to even want to stop. Like I've, I heard it when I was in the military, this uh, public speaker came in and he talked about, he said, this is specific for runners, but you can use it in any aspect of your life. He's like, so imagine you're running on a, on a one mile circular track and you're supposed to run five miles and you're doing a time trial. And after mile three, you keep telling yourself, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. And you're compounding on not stopping. All you're focused on is not stopping. And he was like, instead of saying don't stop, let's say keep running, keep running, keep running, keep running. And that is, that's how we go into every race. And that is how we live our life. Well, and then also like when you, as you mentioned, seeing him in pain or that's not pain. I've seen him at his worst Mm. and this is not even compared to what I've seen him suffer at. This is not suffering. He's thriving right now. He's not suffering. Like this is like, no. (laughs) When we, yeah. I've seen his worst, worst. Like I, I was the one that went around the house collecting all those twisted up bottles in hidden spots because he couldn't do it and I had to do it, you know? Like, I was too ashamed yeah. to so, go see him. I couldn't see those little crushed up wine boxes. Yeah. It would it made break me. And so she went around the house and just cleaned them all up. They were everywhere. Yeah. And so my feelings don't get hurt when I see him sad or hurting or even if he snaps at me because he is sad or hurting in those moments because I mean, I mean, like, ultra runners kind of turn into a-holes after, like, mile 70, you know? Like, ew, don't, don't ask me questions. Every time I'm like, don't ask me questions. Please don't ask me a question. Like, why? Yes. <laughs> like, so, like, I've seen him worse than what than he any, would ever be. And what, so I'm like, he's fine. He's fine. Let's go. You've been through worse. You can do this. You're fine. Yeah. So, I mean, unless he's bleeding or, like, a bone sticking out, I might be like, oh, okay. Might. <laughs> might, brother. I went yeah. up at a race, and I walked loops with him while he was puking his brains out. Like, I didn't skip a beat in my conversation either. And he was just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so you'll see me puking at mid-state, but it doesn't mean anything. Nothing. I'm just going to keep on going. <laughs> So the, I mean, huge lesson here, I think for anybody is you guys make each other better by holding each other to the standards that you set for yourselves and that you want for yourselves. And it's not this, well, he's in pain or she's in pain. So I'll comfort it's, I know what you want and I'm going to do everything I can to help you get there, regardless of what fake pain you're going through in the moment, because there is like we mentioned, I mentioned earlier, I mean, life's messy. There is going to be real pain for everybody. And when Mm -hmm. we're going through fake pain, that's training for the real stuff. I think, right. Yeah. Is your training to get through the real stuff. Yeah. Your first world problems. I'm like, Oh, you want, I didn't show up on time. You're fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. what that's what I'm like. That's what I tell it. Like, even our poor children or anybody, I'm like, what's the first world problem? You're going to, like, that's so work. good. And but- so, and just for, for like people watching and listening, let me just, let me just go through the timeline a little bit and um, correct me from what I missed. But and it, you went from 
started running it towards the latter mid to latter part of 2019, I think. Right. Yeah. It was in 2019. Yep. You do Dreadmill 100, December of 2020. Yep. I know you had some things in between there, a couple mm-hmm. of races in between there, but then you did you did Tennessee Mile in December of 2021, which broke the record 80-something miles in 24 hours, which, if you don't know Mid-State Mile, it's not the mileage, it's the <laughs> – the uh, incline and the decline yeah. Yeah. that gets you. So st- basically all you need to know is you broke the record for Tennessee mile, 24 hours there. You had, it was either Georgia jewel or the cruel jewel or both in between. Yeah, I can't remember. Both okay. Yeah. So both of those in between, which is insane. And uh, then you turn around and do the fierce dragon 200 in January of 2022, a month, maybe month, month and a half ish after mid state, uh, Tennessee mile again, insane. So again, for people listening who don't, who haven't heard your other podcasts or know your story, fierce dragon 200 is insane from, I followed, I followed what you were doing and 66,000 feet of game. Oh my gosh, dude. Uh, And I want to, but, but let me just say before I forget, for those of you, I, I, I encourage everybody to go watch your YouTube video of your post-race recap. I think it was like 13, 14, 15 minutes, something like that. You, you went through it real quick. The last few minutes, particularly, so impactful of how you talked about Stephanie and your family and the impact you want to have on people. And this is why you're doing this. And so I, I, I just want to take two seconds to encourage people to go watch your YouTube videos in, in that Fierce Dragon 200, because when I watched that, man, I, was get, I got chills listening to your why and, and your, um, you are in a, at Tennessee Mile. I forget what you said earlier, but I do want to touch on this too, how you were kind of getting that feeling like people were encouraging you and 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 telling you what an inspiration you were being and you were i i remember the few times that we crossed pat well actually we crossed paths more than a few times because you were like you were lapping me over and over <laughs> again but i remember just a few times coming in and at least seeing you come in or hearing you come in and i think it was danny or one of danny's crew every yes. time you would go by keep dealing hope yeah i'm like yes yeah, just hearing that wasn't even for me. It was just hearing that. I'm like, he's that's actually what he's doing. And and I would see you keep going, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like struggling here. But whenever I heard when I heard somebody yell, like I said, I think it might have been Danny. It was keep Danny. dealing hope. Yep, keep dealing hope. I'm like, this dude is this. He's not just a runner. He's he's at. This is a purpose. This is this is bigger than just running the Tennessee Mile and. Last thing that I remember about Tennessee mile is I was actually running faster than you the last couple of laps yeah. because you had gone so fast. I remember the first time I passed you, I was like, Holy smokes. I just passed Justin. Yeah. Sweet. I'm killing it. Of course I was like 20 miles behind you, 30 miles behind you. But by, by that point, but I was like, okay, all right. Now it was testament to how fast you went for so long. But you really are, man. It's um, and and I want to say this too that you guys, not just you, but both of you, this whole conversation has been. You guys are amazing. I love, like I said, you you just you you 
put into words what I love about seeing on your social media and what you guys do in life and what you guys put out there and how you live. Um, what, uh, golly, man, what else, what, what do you want Justin or both, both of you actually, as far as going forward, it's, I mean, you guys are two, just a little over two years into really a new journey in life. It seems. And anyone who sees you from the outside wouldn't, without hearing your story, would not know. I wouldn't know. I mean, I wouldn't see that, right? You put a picture, I think you put a picture of yourself several days ago from the past and you were heavier. And I'm like, man, yeah. I don't know who that guy is. Yeah. Um, because I know you as this. I know you as the guy who's dealing hope at the Tennessee Mile. So people wouldn't know what you've been through. And you're only a couple of years into this amazing journey that you're on together with your boys. What do you kind of, what's your, what's your purpose? I mean, what do you want to give to people? Because I, and I'll go back to as well. You, I mean, you made the decision to be a professional runner, to turn your life around and your, in your marriage and your family, there ain't a whole lot of money in that right off the bat. No, no, <laughs> so no. You don't, it seems like you don't make decisions based off what most people, how most people make decisions. You value, you value things that are valuable in life. That's kind of the way yeah. I see it. So what do you want? What's your purpose, man? What do you guys want to, to, to give to people and to leave and just in message you want to share? So I, and specifically for me, I want to, I want to share what in and of itself, my story, because I think that, you know, an alcoholic or someone in the midst of addiction could hear it. And whether they reach out to me or it's that last little push they need to shave their head, you know, figuratively and, and to, you know, tackle, you know, getting their mental health back. Um, I want to, um, I want to tell Edgar's story, which is, you know, just a simple fact that, he changed an entire community like his death as a police officer it was it was it touched so many people there are so many memorials for edgar scattered about in metro atlanta it's and he deserves every one of them but he was a mexican-american immigrant and he came his family immigrated here and he was raised here and his when his family came to the graduation but barely anybody could speak english and like so they were real deal um immigrants to america and he had but they all had this passion for america that i don't even see sometimes in my fellow americans who have a lineage here and it was a patriotism and passion for this soil that i hadn't seen in a long time um by people who you know weren't born here and he died for for this for the you know for us to try to make this community safer and i want to tell his story um just that right there um and just help anybody who is struggling to know that like <laughs> you don't have to change everything all at once it's going to be it's it's crazy i was talking about it again with my buddy who i was running with um when you go to rehab or when you go to aa or something like that they they tell you, hey, don't make any big decisions in the first year, okay? Nothing life-changing. But also, we need you to change everything about your life. <laughs> and you're like, uh, 
So what I want people to know is you don't have to be perfect. Don't strive for perfection. Strive for progress daily. Make an inventory at the end of the day. What did I do to my wife that I could, you know, not do tomorrow to make her happier? How did I react to my kid when he spilled, you know, the Kool-Aid on the couch? <laughs> this, that, and the other. When I held the door for somebody and they didn't say thank you, and I muttered, you know, you're welcome under my breath. Did I need to do that? You know what I mean? Take that inventory and just try to progress positively and don't try to be perfect. And when you fall back, pony up and stay in the fight and just keep trying to progress a little bit. Walk the walk. Like I, my thing it, with it and what I kind of hold Justin accountable with his platform is a lot of people talk, 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 talk. They love to talk on social media. And I always tell them, I'm like, walk the walk. If you put it out there, you better do it. Like, so I hate when people don't hold to their word. And then also I do like to that he puts himself out there because I mean, when I was a leader in the military, what made me a better leader was because I had messed up in my past. And so that made me more approachable to people when they mess up or when they need help. When you're out there putting yourself out there as like, you're, you know, like, or just putting people down for the way they are they're not going to want to fix themselves or come to you for help to fix this issue. So that's, I'm like, talk the talk, walk the walk, but also remember where you came from because you were messing up once in your life too, whether you were 17 or 35, who cares? We're all at different places in our life. People are going to mess up. You're a human being. Huh? You made a mistake. Imagine that. That's what I always tell people. So, like, it's just, I don't know, be approachable and actually hold to your word. So, yeah. that's kind of, if I put something out there, I make sure I, I'm correct. In it. And, and that's a big reason yeah. why I make the posts that I make and why I build up the races before it and why every day I put 6, 18, 22 at the end of my post is because I'll, when race day comes, if my knee starts to hurt, <laughs> You talked a big talk, brother. (laughs) Take it up or it better. It's going to break because you cannot stop. And the fact that I'm not professional and I don't have sponsors to lose if I throw a season for getting hurt is kind of something I have as an edge. Like I will go the distance and I have someone in my corner who's going to push me the distance Mm -hmm. when I'm beyond any cognitive, <laughs> if I'm, you know, sleep deprived and for some reason wanted to stop, she would not let me. No. She'd smack me in the face and literally before I quit and say, <laughs> keep going. First of all, we paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> the finance lady, Mike. <laughs> Do you, this might be the last question. Um, like I said, this has been amazing. Do you think that, or ever do you have, has it ever crossed your mind that you may have, that God may have hand, stuck his hand down and selected you guys? And I say that because you're on a path that could have gone horribly wrong. Right. And it, it didn't, I mean, obviously things happened, but 
could have been so much worse. And here you are a little bit more than two, well, two and a half plus years later on a completely different path. I just, I'm curious if that's crossed your mind. Like, he's like, I have different plans for you. So I'm going to, I'm going to spare you from going, going completely towards where you're heading. And I'm going to, I'm going to turn you around. Have you, is that? That's absolutely crossed my mind. And that's, um, it's more than crossed my mind. It's, we've talked, it's been a discussion. It's like the nothing would have stopped me other than death prison or what I did, which was almost kill somebody. And had I been, you talked about, it could have been wrong. Had I been six inches to the right, instead of clipping this individual, I would have ran them over and killed them most likely. And I'd be talking to people through a plate glass window. Um, So I believe 100% my heart hearts that God put that DUI there as a brick wall to stop me in my tracks. And that wasn't enough. So he was like, here, you piece of junk. Let's let you feel you're sober right now. Let's let you feel the feeling of your brother honorably sacrificing his life for this country and you throwing yours away. And, Mm -hmm. and, and then it was just thing after thing. It was people like Danny. Well, I say after Tennessee mile, things changed for me. They did. And it was because of that stuff that people like Danny cheering me on uh, saying, you know, he, he did come up. He said, Hey, if you're still dealing hope, I want to eight after. And that's, <laughs> that's an old, an old drug. All right, brother. You know, and I had forgot that I'd mentioned dealing hope. And he said that to me and then it just became, I put it on my Instagram. I'm a hope. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was just part of that mid-state mile and I talked to her about it and it was the individuals there that made that race and event and day special and that's what I want to chase is um that feeling of inspiring other individuals and like there were people out there who were saying that they were going further because they saw uh, me and Meg and anybody else who was after obviously getting after it and uncomfortable, you know, they were inspired too. And well, yeah, I mean, that's why I say like the silliest thing. I think I think God chuckles at us when you know make plans. When, yeah, when you know you ask like, what are your five and ten year plans? I really think that he just laughs. He's like, oh, okay, we'll see. Because like I can't tell you how many times or like how many points in my life I could look back two years earlier and be like, this is not where I thought I was going to be at all. Like I, my 26 year old self didn't want kids and look at my 36 year old stuff. (laughs) I was, I was going to be, I was going to be in the FBI or the DEA or some federal. I was in the army for life. I was going to continue to climb the ladder just like I was trying to go to the tip of the spear in the army. So I would have continued to pursue and do I, oh my goodness, I'm so grateful for the individuals who do those professions and who sacrifice their time away from their families. But I am so gun ho I would have put so, I take that home with me. The cases, the people getting murdered, the, the kids, I would be so invested. It would have been a detriment to our marriage mm-hmm. and on my kids' life, my life. Um, I was an alcoholic, overweight homicide detective for a reason, but I was a also a, 
a, a good rookie homicide detective. Um, well, he was bringing it home too, so it wasn't good for us. Like, cause like I was like basically experiencing it through his eyes. Yeah, as I couldn't. Well. I, and couldn't I, was just like, I needed to talk about it. Like the other guys that work could just hold it in, and they and their wives weren't really part of it, or at least that's how they led me to believe. And her and I, we'd sit there. And because for six hours after you do something, you could still watch it on your body cam. And so like, I would, I would watch it. I would watch it. And then I would tell her more detail about it. And so she would be, you know, live there with me, you know, go through these calls with me. And like, I remember one day I was driving home and it was about an hour drive from where I worked to where we lived. And I'm halfway home listening to an audio book and we call it in police world. I was on yellow. You know, still cautious because I'm in a uniform and a criminal might want to kill a cop today, but I'm not going to get a 911 call. I'm not on duty. I'm driving home. And this motorcycle driver comes flying by me. And about five minutes later, traffic comes to a dead halt. And I'm like, I know what happened, dude. I know what happened. And I turn my lights on. I go around. I start seeing pieces of motorcycle. And I find this dude. And I remember his, I remember his face and he's the only person I remember their name, first and last name out of respect for him. I won't mention it, but he died right there in front of me. I was rubbing his sternum and he was, blood was coming out of his eyes and his ears and he died. And I got home and we were supposed, this was date night. Date night. I got home and I was sitting in the bathroom on the side of the toilet, just like staring at the ground. And she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, <sighs> and I told her and we went and they, that was just part of that's a small little snippet we went and sat in a parking lot and just played on our phones for that date night and got ice cream <laughs> like that's it so she's been through it all with me man that's why these races and stuff are like they are they aren't when I say they are fake I don't want to take away from what they can be which we've all told we've talked about it on the podcast it can be inspirational but when the pain sets in to us, it's fake. It's essentially it's manufactured. It's manufactured. That was the word I was thinking of. Yeah. And I, that's a great caveat that don't want to, obviously you're an ultra runner, so you're not going to diminish uh, what, what you do. And I certainly don't want to make it seem like it's diminishing of what people do because it's absolutely not. It's manufactured. It's self-imposed. Yes. Yes, exactly. So it can be stopped at, at any moment. I can choose to stop it. You and have the ability so to I'm, stop it. I think about mm-hmm. the people with cancer, the, pe- the, the people behind the badge who are, you know, about to get killed and they can't tap out. And it's just a race to me. Uh, it just doesn't Achilles tendonitis or patella femoral pain or whatever. I'm going to ride it out. And uh, because it's not that important. And that's the difference is when it's self-imposed, you have the choice to stop. When it's not, you have no choice. You're in it and you just have to keep going through it. Well, I love it, man. I, and I, I know how busy you guys are, how, how, um, you know, between work and training and two boys and all of the remodeling that you guys do and, and other stuff. I'm so, (laughs) I'm so I mean, I'm so grateful that we were able to make this happen, that, that you guys were willing to do this and give of yourselves and share your story together, because I do think this is unique where you're, you're, you know, Justin in the world you're in and is the better you get at running, you'll be doing more podcasts and more interviews and, and all this kind of stuff. 
So for the both of you to be able to do this, I feel, I, I can't tell you how grateful I am to, yeah. uh, to, to hear your story together to, um, yeah, to talk to you both and to kind of get this, this out there because it's, I do, I, I really don't see you, Justin. I mean, it, it, we, we hear, we talk about the word change a lot. I mean, I don't know if just a last thought, I don't know if you necessarily changed that much from the teenager that you were, you've just learned to redirect your foot, your energy and your drive and your passion. And 100%. you're still the same caring, um, loving, you know, uh, amazing, wonderful guy who wants to achieve and, and get better. You just, you've learned how to redirect that. And you've got a purpose and a drive behind you, brother, that in both of you, that I, um, I think it's, I think it's awesome. I can't wait to show people. I can't thank you enough for who you are, for giving up your time and your story here. Thank you so much. And we'll see you soon. We're humbled, Mike. We appreciate you, brother. We'll see you. All right. Take care, guys. All right.